Heart. You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. What is heart? Heart is running through a return man when the game is on the line. Heart is giving everything you have in practice, day after day. Heart is finding the strength to run down the field one more time when you can barely breathe. The heart in me pumps Husker Red. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by CornNation.com, hosted on JitteryMonkey.com, part of the Jittery Monkey family of podcasts. And check out those podcasts, I encourage you. Uh, if you like pro wrestling, like I do on occasion, and Haas does on occasion, you might be interested in the My One Two Three Cents, the podcast. That's uh, it, it, until we got Coordination, or until we got the Five Heart Podcast back up and running. Uh, my one, two, three cents, the podcast was the only new content every week that you could count on a show on the network. Uh, Kevin Huntsberger does a great job, uh, providing fresh content, uh, both at the global level for the WWE and also some independent stuff in his area. So check that out. Uh, if you just want to, you know, maybe stay up to date on some pop culture with a a little spin of positivity, I encourage you to check out uh, Chad Smart's positive cynicism. Uh, all December, he talked about Star Wars, and uh, he lives in L.A., so he was able to go to the premiere and and uh, see the uh, the big at-ats that were uh, there on Hollywood Boulevard in front of a, well, it's not Grauman's Chinese Theater anymore, but the Chinese Theater. I can't think of its new name. Uh, so uh, always some good content there, and, and uh, he's got some hockey episodes as well, because he likes hockey and I like hockey, so that, those are good shows. And if you like comic books and other nerdy stuff, movies, whatnot, uh, on occasion I do a little show called Nerds United. That's the oldest show on the network, but uh, uh, Kevin has far outpaced me with episodes, uh, and I'm, I'm a little, he's doubled me up, and I'm a little ashamed by that, but that's all right. Uh, but this is the Five Heart Podcast. We talk Nebraska athletics, and I'm Greg Mahochko, and I'm joined once again by my good buddy and yours, Mr. Haas Reuter. Haas, uh, how are you, sir? Uh, are you there? Yeah. I, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. I, I, yeah, must, I don't know what just happened, but I'm doing pretty good this evening. Just uh, relaxing before, you know, doing some accounting homework later this evening. But uh, how are you, Greg? I'm doing all right. Uh, did you survive the, the wintry weather that uh, hit eastern Nebraska this week? Yeah, you know, although I was pretty damn happy to have class canceled, um, waking up this morning to see that it was literally maybe an inch and a half, two inches of snow. And just a lot of wind, you know, it was kind of disappointing. You know, I'm a winter weather guy, you know. As much as I hate being cold, I like cold weather. And uh, so it was one of those things where it was kind of a bummer, but it was easy enough to go run some errands in town. And really the only thing was I look like uh, at various times without a hat on, I look like Dan Aykroyd at times with the uh, wind-blown hair going, you know, <laughs> as I walk in the door of, you know, the store where I needed to go, but yeah, it was, uh, hopefully, you know, we finally get a good, you know, winter weather event. And I know tomorrow night they're forecasting just a dusting of snow and watch that'll probably end up being like 10 inches of snow and 40, 50 mile an hour winds. So yeah, I mean, just another day in the life. So when I moved to 
uh, the panhandle to Shadron. Um, I was ill prepared for what lied ahead, and and you know when I got there, natives and whatnot. To, uh, I, I should specify uh, native Shadronians, I guess. You know, people from that area. Uh, not you know to just to be disambiguous because awfully close to uh, you know South Dakota, Pine Ridge Reservation, etc. So I wanted to clear the air, if you will. Uh, but they said, you know, you be careful up here. You know, winter, you can get snow in September. You can get snow into April. So you just never know what to expect. So I said, okay, that sucks. Too much winter. Let's move on. And it was relatively mild. And I'll never forget this. Uh, I woke up on a Monday morning, and there was about 14 inches of snow that had fallen overnight. Um, and I didn't, and, and I lived in a little, it used to be a house right there on Main Street, um, or, or the main road, Highway 20, uh, that, uh, somebody had separated into three apartments, uh, in this college town. Um, so I was ill-prepared. I didn't even have a snow shovel. So I walked to work that day. I walked back home, uh, and on the way home, I stopped at the Safeway and, uh, and got a snow shovel and spent about four hours digging myself out. Uh, you'll appreciate this. It's 2004, March 2004. I missed uh, Monday Nitro, or not Monday Nitro, Monday Raw, Monday Wrestling, uh, to dig myself out of, you know, make sure I could get to work the next day. That all being said, because I, I do have such disdain for winter weather, I would, I would always crack the mic on the radio and say, you know, the worst four-letter word that you can say on the radio and people who weren't in on the joke or people who had heard it for the first time were like, oh my gosh, is he going to say the F-bomb? Is he going to say, what is he going to say? I said, the worst four-letter word that you can say on the radio is snow. Unfortunately, we've got, you know, here's the forecast type of crap. Um, yeah, I hate I hate snow. I, I dislike ice. I've never cared for it. I didn't, I didn't like snow days in school because, especially when I realize you have to make those up in May, Sometimes June, um, you know, especially as I got into high school, and I'm like, I just want to get this crap over with. Uh, so I, I just never, I, I, when I was a kid, when I had zero responsibilities, uh, yeah, then a snow day was great. Being out in the cold was fine, and you know, making snow forts and whatnot. Um, but now that I have to leave, like, like there are no snow days. There were no snow days in radio. There were snow, no snow days in, in the car business. Um, we are expecting, now we're recording this Thursday night. It'll drop in the morning, uh, Friday morning. I hope, I hope that's okay with the scheduling committee at coordination. Um, but we're, we started the day, it was 60 degrees in, in the St. Louis area today and it's already 28 and we're expecting snow and ice or at least ice, uh, tonight. And now I've got to drive in it all day, uh, in, in big, heavy trucks. And I'm just not, not looking forward to that, um, too many idiots out on the road. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. want to be stuck somewhere because of one of them. Um, I, I I was hoping with this past you know 2017 Christmas being on the Monday that it was when I woke up on uh, Saturday morning the 23rd, my boy's birthday. There was a little bit of snow out, nothing ridiculous. So he was able to see some snow. It lasted uh, through Christmas Day. And maybe a day or two past that, but then I was like, "Man, if if that's the only snow we have, if that's the only wintry weather we have, I'll be happy with that." Unfortunately, as we've been discussing for far too long now, that's not going to be the case. 
So by tomorrow night, I'm going to be ready to drink. Yeah, you know, there's nothing better than maybe uh, after a long day of being out in that crap, going home and cracking open a few drinks, beers, uh, whatever fine spirits you drink in the Mahachko household. Beers. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I just wasn't sure, you know, maybe if, you know, you're into the harder, you know, alcohols. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I always do after a long day of working out in the cold or something like that. The, uh, Sit down, have a nice drink. I, I, I don't do the hard alcohol. Um, I can't, I can't tell you why. I can only say it was a result of my bachelor party. But there are too wow. many, there are too many small stories in, in interwoven in that. It, it, I just don't. Like, I had buddies. You know, this was pre-smartphone or right at the very beginning of the smartphone era. So they're looking up crazy shots uh, for me to take, uh, and and I hated them for it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I stay away from uh, liquor. I'm, I'm a beer man, and I'm all right being a beer man. I, it's nice and simple. It's nothing fancy like a course banquet. Um, hey, you know that's the uh, it's the nectar <laughs> of the gods. Yeah. Kings drink uh-huh. banquet. Yeah, well, well, if you say so. Um, so anyway, let's talk a little bit of football. Uh, all right. Didn't get a chance to talk with you last week, but I definitely wanted to um, because I and and you and and many. Husker fans watched the Peach Bowl and saw, you know, Scott Frost in his uh, UCF finale and finishing in the undefeated season, uh, beating Auburn. Off the top of my head, the score uh, escapes me, but that's okay. It's irrelevant at this point. But, uh, you know, the first undefeated season in half a decade, and and a lot of times we say this with a little bit of snark or sarcasm, but in, in this case, and it, Probably, especially because he's you know our coach now, but it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Absolutely, you know, and I all have to say, just the level of engagement that I had in that Peach Bowl surpassed basically the level of engagement that I had during Nebraska games from you know after the Purdue game to the Iowa game. You know, those last four games of the season. My, my level of engagement was so far down, with, with the exception of the Iowa game, of course, just because of my um, burning white <laughs> hatred for Iowa, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was at, it felt good to be engaged in a game again, you know, with a rooting interest and, you know, actually kind of living and dying, you know. It's, so to speak, it was still a watered-down version of living and dying, you know, because it's not Nebraska, you know, it's UCF. But, yeah, I mean, it's... Fun game. Um, love seeing the coaching style, you know, from Frost, you know, in a game like that where he's outgunned, you know, talent-wise. And it was really, you know, some really good insight to see how that team, you know, responded to being down, you know, to Auburn early in the second half and um, that they just kept attacking and they just kept playing their style of football and, you know, Auburn was going to have to adjust to it. They didn't adjust to Auburn. And so, yeah, I mean, watching that game, I'm I'm pretty damn excited for the future. I already was, but even more so after seeing, you know, the kind of game plan that was put to put in place and those players being able to carry out that game plan to beat a team like Auburn who at the end of, you know, November, I thought was hands down the best team in the country. And and if you think about it, that's an Auburn team that 
you know, beat uh, Georgia. They beat Alabama, and then, of course, they turned around. And they lost to Georgia in, in the uh, SEC championship game. But that was – they were a game away from being in the playoffs. And, yeah. And, and and I think that's what – You could almost make a case that they still should have been in over Alabama, you and, know? And, and we're going to talk about the that uh, championship game. Uh, and we're not going to linger on it, but, but I threw a, a – topic to you in, in a chat in a conversation earlier this week in a text and and uh, so we're, we're going to talk about that but I what I want to ask you is if if coaching staffs were reversed if and, and I, I don't I don't want to say this to to denigrate or, or disparage anyone but if it was you know a, a Mike Riley coach you know coaching staff in that you know, coaching that UCF team when Auburn went down, is there the mental toughness to claw their way back and win the thing? No, I. And it's funny that you bring this up because I thought of the same thing during that game, and I was a little concerned for UCF at that point, just from being scorned as a Nebraska fan and just having a lack of seeing the team have a lack of mental toughness. You, you almost um, been conditioned to it over yeah, the last yeah, few years. Yeah. You know, operant conditioning. It's like, Oh no, yeah, there it goes. You know, um, momentum shifted there. They're not going to be able to do anything to claw, you know, claw back momentum from Auburn. And instead they just, they go about their business and, you know, they get momentum back on their side. But to answer your question, you know, more in depth, um, a Mike Riley coach, you know, Mike Riley staff coaching a team like UCF in that situation, no way. And, you know, I've always talked about talent being important and, you know, a lot of things get fixed when you have just better talent or speed, you know. But in that case, they're outgunned against Auburn, you know, just from a talent standpoint. And then, you know, you pair it from being up at halftime to down in the early in the second half. And they... I think a lot of football teams, honestly, not just Nebraska under Mike Riley, but a lot of football teams would have probably folded up, you know, at that point if they were in UCF shoes. It, I, I don't want to draw comparisons, but that's what's going to happen, um, especially when games begin again. Would you, because we we saw a little bit of the fire uh, from Frost on the sideline. Uh, you know he, it, he was unhappy. If he was unhappy, he was letting, you know, the officials know about it. I think there were some questionable calls. Uh, I believe something like that. Um, yeah, that is, in fact, that's exactly what I don't remember the specific occasions now because yeah, it was it was when the uh, Auburn tackled Killens on a screen pass when he was the intended receiver. Was. The that's ref what it said was. it. It was legal since there had been a play fake. Then they showed the replay, and there there was no you know play fake to Killens. It just they Auburn red screen, and they went and tackled you know Killens to prevent him from you know catching the screen. And the same kind of thing happened in Nebraska, Michigan State back in 2015. Um, Michigan State tried to run a little play action uh, tight end screen, and Nate Gary recognized that it was a screen. He tackled the tight end, and you know they called holding. And it was after the tight end had faked, you know, a block, you know, and then released into the flat for the screen. So, I mean, that was the right call, the Nick Gary one. Um, 
that was a fucking horrendous call in the UCF <laughs> Auburn Peach Bowl. Uh, but my, my question being, I mean, when we saw you know Scott Frost get into the officials' ear a little bit, it seems like he's uh, very measured. I don't. I don't mm-hmm. want to say. I don't. I don't know if meticulous is the right word, but but uh, uh, his his. I, I feel like compared to Bo Pelini and Mike Riley, he's somewhere in the middle as far as sideline temperament. Maybe that's maybe that's how I'm trying to say because uh, Mike Riley was not one to you know chew an ear. Bo Pelini was one to smack an official with a, a hat, um, and I feel like Scott Frost is, you know, again. I have not seen his entire body of work, so I'm no Scott Frost expert. Um, but, you know, he, he's animated. Uh, if he doesn't agree with something, he will let the officials know. Um, but he, he brings back some of that some of that fire. Uh, I like using the word fire. Some of that uh, uh, juice, juice to, to the sideline. Uh, tell, tell me a little bit about, about that just on, on, on what you've – because I know you've been going back and watching some of his uh, UCF stuff. Um, and, and plan to do more so in the off season. But tell me what you've seen just from his sideline demeanor and and how it compares to to what Husker fans may be accustomed to in the last uh, decade or so. Uh, it's it's just one of those things where it's a you know I won't say it's like the Tony Dungy quiet confidence where he's just you know sitting there watching and you know Tom Osborne's Midwestern stoicism kind of gets venerated into almost being like you know that he never showed any emotion when, you know, there were times that you go back and watch old games, you know, that he'd be, you know, talking to a ref a little spiritedly. But with Frost, it's, you put it best, he's the kind of the perfect balance between Pelini and Riley. You know, he's going to let a ref know, you know, something when a call, when he thinks a call is wrong. I mean, that call against Auburn when Derek Brown tackled Adrian Killens on the screenplay, you could read Frost's lips that he was dropping F-bombs to the ref, you know, to get his point across. Contrast that with Riley, you know, who never, you know, I mean, I remember he got a flag thrown on him against Wisconsin in 15 when he was protesting a couple of no calls on what should have been pass interference. Um, But other than that, you know, there was never really any moments that he showed a lot of emotion on the side of the line and just got more he became more closed off as his tenure went on. Now, you know, with Frost, you know, getting after the ref, dropping some F bombs and, you know, letting him know time, you know, he's got that measured approach where he's just, you know, he's getting his point across and the football coaches get their point across. He's not, you know, trying to threaten the ref. He's not belittling the ref. He's not, you know, calling the ref some unseeming names like Pelini would do to various officials through the Big 12 and the Big 10. So it's... Well, those it's, Big 12 I, officials I would, usually deserved it, so... Yeah, Big 12 refs. I mean, they snogged. <laughs> but um, I would say that the best way to describe Frost's sideline demeanor, he's a lot like Urban Meyer. And... Um, I think he's a little bit more measured than Urban because of the fact that Frost is his own OC and that requires him to, you know, really be in sync with the in-game, you know, the flow, the synergy of the game. And it, it's 
that lends itself to having kind of an anticipatory coaching style, whereas he's on the sideline, he's sitting there locked in, calling plays, and having to do that, he's just really in tune with the game, and you can kind of start to see situations that are going to arise before they actually happen. It's kind of, you know, what people have always said about Tom Osborne, that he was always two to three steps ahead, two to three plays ahead of everyone else. And uh, back at the Husker Salute to the Troops in October down in Lincoln, when Pat and I talked to Aaron Taylor, Aaron Taylor mentioned that about Frost as well, that he's constantly, you know, a couple of steps ahead, you know, just a couple of moves that he's already started to think of before you've had a chance to, you know, go to your next um, move as a opposing tactician. So it, I think that we're getting, you know, I think we're getting the real deal. And, I mean, I thought that before the Peach Bowl. Um, and I think, you know, I just can't say enough. It's a home run hire. And I'm just ready to get this, you know, excited to see this thing get up and running. I mean, I've kind of had enough of the hype train. <laughs> I just want to see football. Um, I don't want to oversimplify this, and this is certainly not the, the end of the conversation regarding the football and the coaching staff, things like that. But is this going to be the longest off season in, in that you can re- recall oh easily e- easily it is it's gonna crawl by <laughs> you know and i mean on one hand I, I am happy for a long off season because it's a long off season this also probably probably a little bit of oregon stuff that they did and when he was named OC there under I fully expect by July everyone will have forgotten about four and eight. Everyone will be thinking that, you know, Chenander's gonna Chenander's the second coming of Buddy Ryan and Will Honus is Mike Singletary and we're gonna be the eighty five Bears out there defensively and we're gonna be the eighty three <laughs> scoring explosion offensively and they'll talk themselves into making reservations for um I think the playoff is in oh – God, I don't even know where it is this year. I, I think it's in Phoenix. When in reality, I'm still – you know, I'm excited. I can't wait to see what's going to happen. I'm still taking the measured approach of, you know, 7-5. and five. Anything north of that is gravy. So if we can avoid the uh, drinking the Kool-Aid over 4th of July weekend where suddenly everyone turns into great players, you know, and Scott Frost suddenly becomes Bill Belichick, Tom Osborne, Nick Saban, and Bear Bryant all rolled into one. <laughs> That'll be great. Um, speaking of, you know, great players, uh, since the last time we talked and probably since uh, the last episode dropped uh, last week, which was uh, very Nebraska ball-centric, uh, um, with David McGee and I encourage anybody to go uh, check that out, especially since they they just went ahead and beat Wisconsin earlier this week. And uh, and congrats to the the Nebraska men's basketball team. Um, but it, it was announced uh, via Twitter that Stanley Morgan Juniors is going to be coming back as well. Um, Indeed. And we get that, and we get the news of a transfer from UCF, who's you know familiar with. Coach Frost, not not just Coach Frost, but the the entire coaching staff, uh, and he's a Nebraska boy, so you you can beef up those you know rankings a little bit. Um, it it seems like the 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 personnel 
it is really starting to come together. Let's, let's talk a few minutes about the players before we go back to, to the coaching staff because I do want to talk to you a little bit more about, about the coaches. But, uh, um, you know, Stanley Morgan did some great things, and he was, you know, a couple of big catches, big receptions away from being a 1,000-yard receiver, which I think would put make him the first in Nebraska history. Um, yep. And so the fact that he's coming back uh, and the fact that we're going to see – I think we're going to see a pretty good uh, uh, quarterback competition. I mean, we talked last time, you and I, about Tanner Lee uh, declaring for the draft and certainly wish him well. Um, but that still leaves uh, Patrick O'Brien and Tristan Gebbia. And uh, though he won't be able to play this year, uh, the uh, Vedral, I believe. Yep, Noah Vedral. Noah Vedral, uh, a Nebraska boy. Uh, coming back, coming from UCF as well, um, and he'll be able to take a year off. You know, get I mean, he's from Nebraska, so there's no real acclimating there. Um, but you know, he'll hit the weight room, or or you know, he he'll probably know the system more than anyone. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how he can maybe help, uh, you know, mentor. Uh, you know, P.O.B. or or Gebby on some of the verbiage, things like that. And, and it, he he could play a really integral part, even though he won't uh, see the field. He could he could play a really important part this offseason. Yeah, he really could. I mean, because it's another, it's another person in the quarterback room and just on the team in general that's worked with Frost and Walt, Troy Walters and Mario Verdusco. And so he knows what to expect, and he'll be able to tell, you know, the other quarterbacks in the quarterback room and the other players on the team what to expect. But also, he's another person, because he's learned the offense already, he's another person that can help install that offense. And that's huge, you know, to because outside of, you know, time limits, you know, the coaches have with the players over the offseason when, you know, especially installing a new scheme. Um, it's going to take on more significance to have a guy like Bedrill who they can get together at, you know, someone's apartment or someone's house or, you know, at the you know library or wherever, you know, on campus, you know, or off campus to discuss scheme and, you know, go over the playbook and learn different calls and signals. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, I, I, it's a trite expression, but it's like having another coach on yeah. the field. Now, have you heard anything as you, you mentioned you know somebody's uh, dorm room apartment house something like that ha- have we found out which uh, wide receiver Vedral Noah Vedral is going to be living with because that's always a very intriguing uh, <laughs> you, you know thing we it's always newsworthy in every game you always hear uh, they're you roommates know, you know they're, they're roommates and, and that's why they have such good on the field chemistry is uh, you know it, and Obviously, we joke Tommy Armstrong and Jordan Westerkamp. Uh, uh, that was that was the running joke for three seasons. It seems couldn't couldn't and get a Tanner broadcast. Lee and Stanley Morgan lived together. Oh, I didn't see. They didn't talk about that as much, or I didn't pay close enough attention. One of the two. Um, that's, I mean, well, we didn't have to hear it for three years. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. It wasn't uh, you know pounded into our head every week, like you said. Um, let's let's talk uh, again. Uh, jumping back to the um, uh, coaching staff because it was also announced, I believe, last weekend that another former Husker was going to be – had officially joined uh, the staff 
as a linebackers coach. I believe it's inside, but you might correct me on on, on uh, uh, but yep. uh, Barrett Rude is coming back home uh, to Lincoln. Of course, he had uh, had a standout career uh, for the Huskers, and then went and played uh, several years in the NFL. Uh, how, aside from the you know knowing the culture and being able to you know maybe bring some of that Husker culture back, how how excited are you uh, for uh, Barrett to be coming back to the Huskers. Well, I'm pre- you know, I'm pretty excited from the standpoint that Shenander and Frost have talked about just what a, you know, what a hard worker Frost or Rude has been down at UCF, you know, in his capacity. And Shenander's mentioned that, you know, he could be one of the all-time greats as a coach with how he approaches the game and how he works at it. But as far as, you know, bringing him on board as inside linebackers coach here, I think it's only natural, you know, that paired with his work ethic, what he's done in previous capacities, that he's going to be a very good coach because he was always a very technique-oriented uh, player, you know, in, during you know his college days here in Nebraska and when he was in the NFL at the Buccaneers and the uh, Seattle Seahawks. And so I think that, uh, you know, that's a guy who with his detail, you know, attention to detail to the game of football that, you know, wouldn't be surprised if, you know, three to five years down the road, maybe he's looking at, you know, moving somewhere else for a defensive coordinator position or if Shenander were to be hired away, you know, after being very successful here, you know, as a D.C., um, you'd be looking at a potential where he, you know, Rude is your new defensive coordinator. But I think despite the obvious uh, Nebraska connection with, you know, kind of with Rude's hire and really, you know, just the the hiring of Frost, you know, at the end of the day, this is a very, just a very good football uh, staff of football coaches. Um, I don't believe for a second that they would bring someone on board just because they were from here. Sure. Uh, I think it's, you know, on purely on the merit and the basis of, are they the a good enough football coach for the job? You know, there's also the component that, you know, coaches reward loyalty and Rude's been loyal to Frost and the, that shenander and that staff. So, you know, they're they're paying him back with, you know, that opportunity. It begs the question, though, uh, who is your favorite, Rude? Oh, Barrett. Really? Uh, yeah, Bo I, Rude. Like, God, I don't mean this, like, any no disrespect uh, to Bo but he was never a consistently good enough player. He just found himself in the right place at the <laughs> right time. I'll tell you why the, your answer surprises me. Uh, because it, my favorite rude is Ravishing Rick. Uh, oh. so. <laughs> I just got guy. You got guy. Um as far as uh, you know, linebackers in the NFL, and and especially ones who uh, I don't want to say outspoken in any negative way, but always always uh, seem to uh, have an opinion. And again, I don't mean that negative. I don't think that, that he ever was out there blasting anyone. But what, what's your take on Scott Shanley? Is there is there a, a I mean, is he a guy who could? parlay his playing days into a coaching career i mean i haven't followed up with him in a while so he might already be doing that somewhere but but what what's your take there you know i don't know i don't really know for sure i mean i listen to him on the radio usually on 
when he's on the Nick Ball show on Wednesday. Wednesdays at about eleven thirty. I'm just getting out of class and I'm driving to work. And um, you know, he has he always has a lot you know to say about Nebraska football or just the state of football in general. And I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the New Orleans Saints as my NFC team um, ever since I was a kid. So you know, it's cool to hear about the Saints stories. Um, his brother Andrew, who played under Callahan, he's the defensive coordinator at I believe Cypress Ranch High School down in Texas, which has been like they've won you know two or three six A titles in Texas the past few years. And uh, so I'm kind of surprised that Shan- Scott Shanley hasn't you know segued over into coaching. Let's talk about non-Nebraska coaches right now. Um, you watched the national championship game, uh, Alabama and Georgia. Um, Here's the thing. I didn't watch the national championship game for the same reason that I didn't watch last year's Super Bowl. They both games included a team I hate and a team from Georgia. And I, (laughs) and you know, halftime shows that are of zero interest to me. And this is no disrespect to Kendrick Lamar. Uh, but I'm 35, and I don't listen to pop music, and so I'm not going to flip it on ESPN just to watch a halftime show. I'm not saying that it doesn't have its place. I, you know, social media, Twitter, whatnot. Uh, by the way, you can you know follow the show and interact with the show on Twitter at uh, the number five Heart Podcast. Uh, throw that out there. But uh, you know, it seemed to be well received. But it's not, you know, it's not for me. It's not it your cup of tea. Yeah, it ain't my cup of tea, and and, and it is what it is. Um, so I didn't watch the game. I, I saw uh, the next day uh, the highlight. Uh, you know, I, I think somebody put it best. Uh, you know, if in, in baseball terms, there's there's you know that walk off walk off homer. This was uh, the walk off homer in extra innings. Uh, you know, walk off touchdown. It, it look. I I don't like Alabama. I wasn't wanting Alabama in the playoff to begin with, and I sure as hell didn't want them to win it all. Um, but that freshman, he can he can ball. Um, and don't ask me to pronounce his last name, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure his first name is Tua. Um, and yep. and uh, um, yeah, he might have just supplanted Jalen Hurst as the starting quarterback at Alabama. You know, as a uh, so. Um, it, but it, the question that I you know the the topic that I submitted to you earlier this week in the text was you have two and I I really don't want to use the word dynasties especially in the NFL side but you have two teams that have had a lot of success in recent years um in college football it's it's Alabama in the NFL it's the New England Patriots my question to you was in the ultimate coach showdown if you had uh Nick Saban versus Bill Belichick. And and obviously I'm not saying, you know, the Crimson Tide versus the Patriots. That's that's ridiculous. But you had, you know, in, in a Super Bowl matchup where Saban has implemented his system to success, obviously to the point to get him there. Cuz I know you're a big Bill Belichick fan. Uh, but those are the two guys who are at at their pinnacle of of their coach or, or of their you know job you know nobody's doing it better than they are at, at this moment who do you go with are, are, are you I mean is it a, and again they got it's not like you know they say well Saban's you know it's tough to stop Saban when he's got a month to prepare you know don't 
Don't give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare, things like that. Um, you know, so they're on equal footing as far as where they're at in their in the season, etc. Um, who do you who do you pick? Who, who's who's coming out on top on that one? Man, you know, before before last Monday, I would have said without hesitation, Belichick. But after the after Saban's just ballsy decision to bench Hurts and put in Tua. Um, you know, that really makes it a little more difficult because that kind of, you know, guy hadn't seen a snap all year. And you throw him in the second half of the national championship game, you're down, you know, I think you're down two possessions at that point, if I remember correctly. And you you ride with him, you know, to coming back and winning, you know, on a walk-off, you know, touchdown pass on second and 26 in overtime. Yeah. I mean, that's... Take some cojones. I mean, some serious testicular fortitude to make that call. But I think I'm I'm still going to stick with Belichick just because overall, Belichick has always won in the NFL at a high level with players that are far from being the most talented in the league. Like collectively, I don't think anyone would look at uh, New England's roster and say, yeah, they're the most talented team in the league. They're far from it. And Saban's had the benefit of all these four or five-star athletes at his disposal where they leave, he just plugs the new ones in, and they reload, and they keep humming. You know, They keep just threshing the rest of college football. So I would have to go with Belichick on the basis of he takes guys who aren't exactly the most talented, and he fits them into what they want to do, whether that's schematically or culturally within their organization. And, you know, they win at a high level. So one game shot in this scenario, Bill Belichick. What are, you know, John Gruden just, you know, left the the broadcast booth to rejoin the coaching ranks in Oakland, soon to be Las Vegas. There have been whispers Mere whispers, and, and maybe only in this area because uh, the as as I mentioned before, the ESPN one hundred and one ESPN uh, out of St. Louis uh, sports talk radio. Ever since Missouri uh, has joined the SEC, they really love pumping that SEC sunshine. Uh, it's obnoxious. Uh, granted, there are just as many Illinois fans around here. You got, I mean. You can throw a rock and hit an Illinois fan. You, you got to throw a few rocks to hit a Missouri fan. Um, but ever since the Rams left uh, St. Louis, there are billboards that say Missouri is St. Louis's. You know the Tigers are St. Louis's football team. Blah blah blah. But they love pumping that SEC sunshine, and uh, you know talking about how how great it was. You know the the morning uh, talk guy. Uh, you know, was thrilled. He was absolutely tickled that it was an all SEC uh, national championship game, and they did not miss an opportunity to to push down Central Florida and say, "Well, you know, they're 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 playing the Memphises and the they're not playing SEC competition." Blah blah blah. Um, which my mental thought was, "Yeah, but they also weren't playing Mercer." So you know, um, yeah, yeah. 
Mercer but, on November 18th. Yeah, think about that one, everybody. Um, but uh, back to my point that, you know, they, they were saying, you know, Nick Saban's done all he can do, and he can stay in Alabama and Tuscaloosa uh, for as long as he wants, or he can, you know, climb Everest or try to climb Everest because that's what, you know, that's what people do. That's why Everest is there. And, and uh, they, they're throwing out the, the notion, the rumor, the possibility that, that Saban might be uh, courted by uh, someplace like the New York Giants. Do you see Nick well, Saban? Well, you know, I'm sorry to cut you off. Continue, please. I was, I was just going to say, do you see him going back to the pros? I mean, uh, the the point that they made was, you know, he he went to Miami. He he didn't stay there very long, but, you know, they said, yeah, he you know, he's not uh, – didn't have a whole lot of success, but then they followed that up with, but he went 9-7 and seven in his first year with Gus Farad as his quarterback. So, I mean, do you see Saban ever going back to the NFL, or do you – think that he just rides the the I was almost going to say rides the tide you know no pun intended but you know ride rides the wave and, and stays put where he's at knowing that he's you know they've already got a statue for him I mean he's he's done all right for himself well first off never ever build a statue for someone who's still alive because they'll start to believe the legend about themselves well Dr. Tom does have a statue you might be the exception to the rule on that. Front. <laughs> but um, I, second of all, generally, generally speaking, yeah, I, I agree with you on that, though. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like I, I heard TCU built a statue for Gary Patterson. I'm a big <laughs> Gary Patterson fan. <laughs> I know but you. Are. Come on, <laughs> you know, come on. But um, to answer your question, I think if Saban go, you know, if he wants another shot at the NFL. I think this is the year that he does it. Um, I was here. I was reading earlier today that Bruce Arians said in an article that Saban has always coveted the New York Giants job, hmm. and uh, well, it's open, right? And so I, you know, I think I think he should make the jump. I mean, you've accomplished all that you could, all all that you can at Bama. You know, any more. Oh. I mean, yeah, you can keep adding national titles, SEC titles, you know, maybe even some national titles without even winning an SEC title. You know, sometimes it works out that way. Especially a couple of years but, after, okay. you, especially a couple of years after you say that uh, no team that doesn't, you know, any a team that doesn't win its conference title has no business being in the in the playoff contention. But I digress. Yeah, and even coming after, you know, when they backed into the national title game against LSU in 2011 when they didn't even win the West Division, the SEC. Yeah. So it's just one of those things where it's like you you look at what he's accomplished at Alabama. You can accomplish more sure. It's the, it's the sure thing, you know. Um, but most football coaches are pretty competitive people, especially at that level and people who have accomplished, you know, success at the rate that Saban has. And they're always going to look for that next challenge. What's coming? You know, what? What's? Where's Everest? You know, what is my Everest? Right. So, because of the fact that the Giants' job is open, and there's just kind of that mystique of the Giants' job brought about from you know the Parcells era and Belichick being the DC, and I believe that Saban was the DB's coach there under those two. Um. I think that that's his, you know, that's his dream job in the NFL, and mm-hmm. you know he wants to 
kind of atone for the first failed stint. I mean, we're getting getting to nine and seven. Gus Farrat is your quarterback. That's pretty fucking right. awesome. You know? There's nothing <laughs> to be ashamed of. I but see, um, yeah, I can see him making the jump. I I, I see two uh, things. You know, and and if if it's a dream job, you know, I I think you know you can you know maybe take a pay cut or something like that if it's to to and and I don't I don't know what the Giants would would offer him uh but I know you know he's pretty well uh compensated in in Alabama um so I don't know I don't know that uh he would be paid more or less you know if if he went to the New York Giants I do know that the players would be paid less than what they're paid at Alabama so uh, you know there's that to contend with <laughs> oh come on, man! I I, I I oh, I I was that, I was hoping for more. I was hoping for a bigger pop than that. I'm, I'm disappointed. Yeah, I was. I had actually <laughs> looked at my phone. My phone had just got off, and like I I heard what you're saying, and it registered. And like afterwards, I was just like, oh man, that was, that was fucking brilliant, Greg. <laughs> um, I mean that. I mean seriously, there might be some players in Alabama making more than some of the guys from the New York Giants. I tell you what, there's you can't a. Tell me Jalen Hurts isn't set up better. Oh God, Tua! Now he, I mean, yeah, he, he, he might not have been like before, but he will be now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, I mean this with no, you know, obviously no undertones or overtones. I can never keep which ones, you know, right. But I mean, in the state of Alabama, Alabama, Tua might get venerated up to levels not seen since Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson, or Cam Newton in the state of Alabama. Yeah, well, other side of the state. The other side yeah. of the state, but yeah. <laughs> um, do we have any anything really else uh, newsworthy to discuss football wise? I mean, I think I, I know I've I've hit on about everything I wanted to hit on. No, nah, I mean we we've kind of covered the gimmick. Um, you know, I mean I don't really I'm not ready yet to talk about the Chiefs playoff collapse from last Saturday. Um, I, you know what? I'm I, not. I'm I not going to talk about that with you because I don't know how the hell the Steelers are going to do uh, this week against the Jaguars because it didn't didn't go so well for them the last time these two teams met and win. But I do know that Ben Roethlisberger is not going to throw five interceptions this time. I just know. Yeah, I don't, I don't foresee that happening either. I was watching NFL Network earlier. I was getting a workout in and I saw, you know, I'd forgotten about that game back in October because that was the week before Pittsburgh came to Kansas City and beat Kansas City. Yeah. And so um I yeah, I, I, I mean, remember that, that point, game. I was watching the Steelers Jaguars back in October. I was thinking, oh, KC's finally gonna get over on them. Nope. And and you know, I was really pulling for KC because I, I liked their chances uh against New England more than the Titans. Um and I heard mm-hmm. something interesting that there's a sixteen year difference in age between the starting quarterbacks of, of the Patriots and the Titans between Tom Brady, who's uh, uh, a uh, performance-enhancing-induced uh, uh, 40, and uh, Marcus Mariota, who's who's a, a crippled 24-year-old. So, I don't say I don't yeah, crippled, that, but he, he's injured a lot. So, that's all I mean. Yeah, you know, they... I'm going to get hurt again AC. Send, send your hate tweets to at uh, Hoss Reuter, um, and, and we'll make sure that we respond to all of those you know i'm surprised he didn't get hurt more against kansas city um i mean they just turned him loose which 
that's what you do in a playoff game. You know, it's win or go home. And, you know, they turned him loose, ran him on zone read, and wasn't even mad about when he tipped the ball to himself for a right. touchdown. I was just kind of, you know, I was just happy that I got to witness it, you know, even as a Chiefs fan. But, I, you know, I don't say this lightly, but I've sat through a lot of really shitty uh, Chiefs playoff games. You know, um, at the top of the list is that 2014 collapse of the Colts after being up 38-10 to 10 at halftime. And for the first time in my life, I thought to myself, you know what, I might become an NFL free agent and go find another team to root for. Because, I mean, it was just to the point where I'm just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Well, I know it's not going to be the Broncos. Nope. Um, and, you know, I, I, and honestly, I it probably, it probably wouldn't even be any team in the AFC knowing you. Yeah, you know, the only other team in the AFC that I kind of like is New England. That's on the base of Belichick, you know. And, and, you know, I have a Patriots hat that I wear, but, you know, <sighs> I don't sit down and watch Patriots games like I do Chiefs games. So if I were to go the NFL free agent route, I'm probably going with the New Orleans Saints. And, and I have no problem with that. Uh, we would have no beef if you if you just became uh, a, a diehard Patriots fan. Uh, this this podcast would be very combative uh, very soon. I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hey, I told you last time we spoke that that should have been a touchdown for I know. Jesse James. I know. Um, uh, you know what's really uh, funny is that, uh, and I don't like this guy either, but Mike Pereira. You know the NFL rules analyst or whatever um you know he he agreed he said it should have been a touchdown and 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 they're still defining you know trying to define what a catch is to the point where uh again on on uh 101 espn out of st louis uh longtime st louis radio sports talk uh guy by the name of randy character he he's got Pereira on the line and he says you know i'm a history buff and back in the you know 1960s there was a uh a court case and it was not football related but he what he said was um uh you know he he correlated it to to football but it was about you know adult content pornography if you will um and and you it was, know it when you see it again i can't define it but i know it when i see it and he said that's you know how a foot a catch should be in in football is you know mm-hmm. I, I can't really define it but i know it when i see it and and when it's called a catch on the field i mean because they they went back to uh the the jesse james catch des bryant catch and all the way even to the calvin johnson catch from a few years ago that are all catches that were all ruled catches on the field and then overturned it, they just you know even Pereira's is like yeah we really need to you know find a simpler way to define that um so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a convoluted but, mess. But Marcus Mariota can bounce a ball off somebody's shoulder pad and, and catch it, and and that you know be good. And and I'll say this: uh, as you said, you weren't even mad about it. it. It's just impressive to do that. And I don't know if he did it on purpose. You know, like you, a lot of times you see in in basketball, especially more you know high school basketball, probably when they're not as skilled as higher levels. But uh, you know, you always throw a uh, try to throw the ball off of the opponent, opposing player to try to go out of bounds, things like that. I don't know if he did that on purpose, um, mm-hmm. but but there's a funny thing about that football shape is you're not really sure where it's going to go when it bounces. So that just took either a lot of luck or a lot of skill, and I'm under the belief that it's better to be lucky than good. So 
tip my hat to Mr. Mariota. If he does it again in New England and they win, uh, I'll buy him a celebratory drink and see him in Pittsburgh. <laughs> so, hey, what? Well, maybe he'll make it three in a row against Pittsburgh. Uh, th- then I will take the celebratory drink and break the bottle and stab him in the face. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. I, I won't be going yeah. to Pittsburgh. I can't afford to go to Pittsburgh. Um, before we get out of here, I do want to touch on uh, Husker wrestling because they've been active. Oh. Uh, we'll, we'll do that real quick. Um, earlier, I guess over the weekend, uh, they got their first conference win of the year uh, over uh, Maryland. Now, Maryland not good uh, at wrestling. Uh, the The total tally there was 48-3. to three. Uh, So we were only 21 points away from one of our favorite uh, uh, Husker fans' Uh, score of 69 to 3. Uh, I just don't think you can a- accumulate that many points in a in a hus- in a wrestling match. Um, most dual points in a match since 2008. They had four pins, uh, a technical uh, win and a major win and uh, the first uh, two first career dual wins. Um, so uh, good job to them. They also had two champions and two other placers at the Hastings Cusadas uh, Open last Saturday, and they are back in action, and it looks like it's going to be, uh, yeah, to, well, as as we, as you're hearing this, hopefully on Friday the 12th, uh, back in action uh, later tonight at the Devaney Center, 7 o'clock in Big Ten action against Purdue. Uh, so I encourage you to go support the Husker wrestlers. Uh, they actually have some high school duels that open the action at the Devaney uh, at 5 o'clock, and then uh, Nebraska-Purdue at 7 o'clock. Uh, you can go to uh, – I'm getting all of it. I'd like to say that I'm just that good at having all this information prepared, but I'm just sh- scrolling through their Twitter feed. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, how about a 184-pound a fre- redshirt freshman, uh, Taylor Venz, having a good uh, little run here. Uh, I don't know. He's a ninth in the nation with eight falls against D1 competition throughout the first few months of the season. So congratulations, Taylor Venz. Keep up the good work. That's my Husker wrestling report. Uh, so we got two wrestling uh, moments, and we got the Husker wrestling and ravishing Rick Rude. Um, what was your favorite pair of Rick Rude tights? You know, I got to admit, I haven't watched much of Rick Rude, just a little bit before my time. Well, yeah, that's right. You're a youngin'. Uh, he always had these custom-made airbrush tights. Uh, usually with uh, his uh, face, or I mean, and dude is ripped. I mean, from Minnesota, good, kind of like Kurt Hennig, good at about every type of sport you could imagine. But you know, fell in love with um, uh, wrestling. I remember hearing a story, and this is only a story, and we'll, we'll close with this. But uh, it, in part of an part of an angle, part of a uh, an angle he was doing with another wrestler, and. Instead of you know like when when he disrobed and showed his tights, which sounds weird to say, uh, but instead of like his image, it had uh, the wrestler's wife's picture uh, airbrushed on the tights. So um, you know that was that was all part of the uh, part of the uh, story they were telling at the time. But but uh, he was a guy who was gone too soon. Um, but man, he he left a hell of a it paved a hell of a path. But a serious serious looking son of a bitch if if you ever. You know, saw him. He he looked like you know he he was he looked like he was stiff in the ring. Like he, he snug is the word. But anyway, that's uh, 
too 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 much wrestling jargon there. Uh, let's get out of here, Hoss. What do you say? Alrighty. All right. This has been another episode of the Five Heart Podcast. We appreciate you listening. A rate and a review. We're on Apple Podcasts as well as Stitcher. Uh, throw us a follow. Uh, throw us a subscription if you haven't already. Uh, rate and review. Um, we're Five Heart, but we like a five star review. If you want to throw us one of those and uh, tell us what you like about the show, tell us what you don't like about the show. Not to say that we'll change anything, but be nice to know. I I I, I don't mind a little constructive criticism and and. Uh, you know, Haas is flawless, so can't say anything bad about him. Um, but uh, follow us on Twitter, as I mentioned before, at the number five heart podcast. You can also uh, like us on Facebook and interact there uh, at uh, facebook.com slash five heart podcast. You can also just search in both of those uh, searches, jitterymonkey.com, coordination.com, of course. And uh, that will be all for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening, Haas. As always, good talk with you, buddy. Absolutely. Good talking with you as well, Greg. And uh, we are the Five Heart Podcast. I said that a moment ago, but I like to repeat myself. really drives home the point. And we remind you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. Go Big Red. Win the damn off season. This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com. Jittery